Welcome to our podcast dedicated to the marvellous consequences by Lol Cream and Kevin Godley with me, Sean McCreevy, and my good friend, Paul McNulty. Hello, Paul. Hello, Sean. Hello, everybody. Hi. Where can we start with consequences? For me, the most unique piece of recording ever. In fact, really, if I can be so crass, Paul, for me, it's as Bohemian Rhapsody was unique as a single, Consequences is unique as an album. It has no equal in anything I've ever, ever heard. I think you may be onto something. Um, whereas, though, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is possibly the best-known piece of music in the world now or of the 20th mm. century, um, Consequences is unknown and if it's known at all it's regarded a, as a failure yeah i think and we are uh, hopefully setting out to prove that nothing could be further from the truth mm. if only it hadn't been such a commercial failure it was a complete flop in 1977 when it was released mm. so how come it was such a such a flop what, what was floppy about it okay well um just a very a uh, small bit of context. Uh, Consequences was released um, immediately after 10CC, the group that Godling Cream were in, left, leaving Eric Stewart and Graham Goldman to continue with the original band. Uh, they released Consequences, <clears throat> a triple album, uh, illustrated and presented in quite a lavish hmm. box. Which uh, we have in front of us. We do. Um, which uh, these artefacts are quite rare now, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's also rare on CD because although it, although it was released on CD, it was in limited edition. And nor is it, to get off the track slightly, I don't think it's available digitally in, under mm. in the no normal channels. It's not on Spotify. Don't know about iTunes. Mm. And it comes and goes on YouTube. So it's, mm. it is actually difficult to get hold of which yeah. is which in itself is quite unusual kind of a, a cult wanting to stay a cult it's yeah it's certainly um retaining its cultishness absolutely and we can go on in a, in a later episode we can talk about the um the attitude that that kevin godlin low low cream have about it now i mean that, they, they've had a love-hate relationship with it haven't yeah, they that that is a whole subject in itself and mm. uh very interesting. Uh, just to get back to the release, so it was very expensive. I don't know how much more expensive than a regular record uh, it was at the time. But I it think it was, they proposed nine quid at the time. Right. Um, famously, Richard Branson told Godley and Cream that it should be a fiver. Um, I think it actually came out at 11 quid. Right. Which was an awful lot of cash in, in at that time. We were buying records for... Two ninety nine, weren't we at that time? Uh, I thought. Well, I don't know. When did you buy records for first? I bought my first album a couple of years after seventy six. So uh, yeah. I thought the normal price was about a fiver by then, but I, I could be wrong. Was it lower than that? Maybe Wellingborough prices were cheaper than uh, than Stevenage. <laughs> Possibly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it, it flopped partly because one has to say there are it's it, it's uncommercial music. It's a triple album. There's a lot to get through. A lot of it is dialogue. A lot of it is instrumental. Um, there are only a couple, there are a few songs dotted about the album, conventional songs, um, which are by and large brilliant, which, um, but there's only 
there's a couple of singles maybe that could mm. have taken hold, but they didn't. And the the album buying public just stayed away really. Mm. And the other uh the timing was bad, this is the other thing to say. It was released sometime in nineteen seventy seven. I don't know exactly when, but it was certainly the height of punk. Mm. Um so it was instantly outdated mm. um by the you know between its original conception let's say in a year earlier and release date it uh it had been overtaken by um what was happening in the in the world of music and it was very easy to a very easy target let's put it that way definitely um and yeah either a target or you just stayed away from it it just it didn't sell it it did get did get in the album charts, I believe, just because of the momentum that 10CC had built up. But it was a, a couple of weeks in and out. I don't, mm. I don't know the sales figures, but you know, they can't have can't have been much. They can't have been much. Certainly far far less than any preceding 10CC album. And uh, as we've said, 10CC split in two, and the, the remaining members went on to almost at the same time release an album called Deceptive Bends, which was a conventional pop album, a very good album and a, a very successful record. Yeah, but it couldn't be more polar opposite to, to consequences, could it? No, and we'll we'll go on to talk <laughs> about um, 10CC and the, um, the, the balance of creative talent in that band. Um, it's often said, but undoubtedly true, that Godley and Cream were uh, the art school weird... Mm. Uh, left field creative axis and Stuart and Goldman were the more conventional but also brilliant songwriting team absolutely the four of them created something incredible magic combination was a the... magic combination that probably couldn't last any longer than it lasted which was well give a, you know roughly four years wasn't it yeah and they were already creaking during the how dare you album weren't they they were the last album um uh, the writing w- was on the wall mm. some I wonderful thought. moments and it was uh, interesting um, hearing there's a wonderful track on, on How Dare You called Don't Hang Up, which gives some clues, doesn't it, to where Godly and Cream were, were heading as a solo act. Don't say these a song a long piece of music with several movements yeah. it's cinematic it's telling stories and um it's lovely looking back uh, over 10 cc's amazing body of work in those four years incredible but hearing particularly the godly and cream uh gems the longer tracks like Unui à paris which takes you i didn't know you spoke french ah <laughs> you impressed. I bet no one, no one calls it that. Sorry to be so pretentious. Um, but that's what it says on the label, I think. Thank you. 
you've got these these cinematic movements in there. Um, same with with somewhere in Hollywood, just uh, incredible stuff. Even the short poppy ones, you know, Dean and I, yeah, take you into little moments of drama, don't they? Rubber bullets is the same. You know, it, it cuts from from the scene in the str- uh, in the in the jail where everyone's going crazy, and then it cuts it cuts to the police station. There's always that 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 kind yeah. of cinematic movie. Uh, yes. concept. What do they call them in films? Slash cuts? Is that, exactly. is, that, is, that, is that a correct term? Instant change of dynamics, yeah. scene, and it's all there in, in their music and, and in 10CC music, and most of that was coming from Godly and Cree. Sergeant Baker started talking with a bullhorn in his hand. He was cool, he was clear, he was always in command. He said, blood will flow Here, Padre, Padre, you talk to your boys Trust in me They, they called their their third album original soundtrack. Yes. Um, film of the film of of my love. Uh, always this film theme. It was no surprise that uh, that they got into music video and, and were so successful at it. Yeah, you're right. Of course. So the Consequences album started really from, from within 10CC. Godly and Cream, uh, a few years previously, had invented a contraption called a gizmo, which we'll go into talk about in a lot more detail shortly. Um, and they, they wanted to market it. And they decided to record a short three-minute demo of what the gizmo was capable of doing. And uh, I think they started with what became Burial Scene as their, as their first... Oh, was that the first part I th- recorded? I believe it was. Okay. Um, and as legend has it, it spiralled and it spiralled and spiralled um, where the three-minute demo became uh, a 90-minute epic um, soundscape uh, across three LPs. Um, and uh, I've given Paul the the difficult task of trying to sum up the concept and the story of consequences. Okay. It works on two levels, really, doesn't it? Uh, on the first level, it's a instrumental depiction of nature um, going mad and uh, wreaking its revenge on... On humanity. Absolutely. And specifically the four elements of nature, isn't it? Exactly. Earth, air, fire and water. Yes, the four elements. And that's depicted in sound. Hey. 
And then in parallel with that, you have a playlet which involves several characters, but amongst them the personification of those four elements of, of nature um, and a divorcing couple and, and the lawyers for, for the husband and wife. Uh, and the central key fifth character called Mr. Blint, who is composing a piano concerto to quell um, the, the rampaging nature. And he, at least at the outset, is the only one aware of what's going on mm. and, and how, to, how to stop um, Armageddon. He that, keeps trying to tell the other four characters, doesn't he? He does, yeah, he, he does. But, but they're too uh, tied up in, uh, um, you know, in everyday lives and their specific situation. And the, minu- the, the, the minutiae of trivia around the divorce. Yeah, divorce and all of life, really. And we should say, before we go, before we go any further, um, this, all this dialogue and four out of the five parts are voiced by Peter Cook. Mm. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! Mr. Blint! Mr. Blint! I don't like to be a nuisance, Mr. Blint, but... Jesus! Who was brought in by Godly and Cream early on. Now, we don't know exactly when, when it morphed from an instrumental demonstration record into this... Uh, magnum opus and this uh, extraordinary play really yeah um they uh, toyed with the idea of having peter cook peter euston off and peter sellers hadn't they yeah they were trying to get all the peters <laughs> to play the parts <laughs> only, and uh, as i think lol says for, for, because they just wanted the hilarity and confusion of saying peter <laughs> yeah can uh, peter redo the, a take yeah i mean they can never be said to lack ambition godly and cream um and why not but um yeah, so would you say, Sean, that Peter Cook is as responsible for uh, the success of it, the artistic success of this album, as Godly and Cream? It couldn't be what it is without him, could it? No, I, th- I think uh, he's absolutely central to, to the uniqueness of the record. I think without his, his, I mean, you have to call it genius with Peter Cook. I mean, I suppose he's not to everyone's taste. Mm. Um, but I don't think it was a um, by luck alone that he was recently voted the a, a greatest ever comedian in this country, and it's wonderful hearing him firing on all, on all cylinders. It is, and th- and this of his work is pretty much under the radar, isn't it? It really. I mean, is. you talk about what Peter Cook is known for, and um, very rarely will consequences get a mention. But uh, he, as you were saying, he is at the height of his his powers, mm. and he invested. A lot of time and energy into this project. And again, details are a bit sketchy, aren't they? But he was he was working with Godley and Cream in the recording studio every day for now. How long was it? We should have research material to hand. A couple of months, I think. Yeah. Uh, both initially in Manchester and then at the Manor. I think he was in both of those yeah. main two recording sites. And he took their their concept of the, of the four elements at war with mankind. Well, did, well, did he? Uh, okay, so wh- where d- where did the concept originate? Did Godly and Cream already definitely have this concept of of the four elements? They must have done Ram- because that because they were they were well into the recording of the music, weren't they? Okay, and the fact uh, 
I mean, they, they started with side one, didn't they? Which is all four elements depicted in, in these wonderful instrumental soundscapes. You're right, yeah. Um, so clearly the concept was already there. And then Peter Cook brought the whole thing alive really dramatically with these wonderfully observed characters. Uh, I can't but remember the joy I had um, one day in the fifth form common room at school, having given a couple of my mates who were at all interested a tape of, of, of the album. Mm. I used to take it round our local playing field on, on my ghetto blaster. <laughs> Um, so late at night, sort of uh, sun had gone down, and we'd we'd sit there uh, on on a log of all things, listening to consequences in the dark, which was amazing. And and wow, and they they liked it, did they? And they, they did. I, why I don't know. It's it's the, the, the least teenage thing you could think of. Yeah. And and they were they were captivated by it, like I was, and uh, we quickly became obsessed with it. Uh, and then one. Um, one eureka moment in the fifth form common room, I was chatting to Chris, who was one of the lads who, who was into it as well, and he said, Chris, I think I've cracked consequences. He said, go on. I said, those four characters each represent one of the elements. And he went, go on. So I said, right, we've got Malcolm Pepperman, the lawyer, uh, voiced by Peter Cook, obviously. Um, he's fiery. His name is Pepper. His Rolls-Royce blows up. God in heaven, persecuted personally for 2,000 years, and now this, it's a pogrom. It looks more like an earthquake. Did you notice something? Certainly, it's in 50,000 pieces. 50,000 tiny hand-tooled pieces. His opposite number, Mr. Haig, he's uh, a drunkard, uh, always got a whiskey on the go. His wife dies on a, on a yacht. Yeah. So you have the song Sailor. <laughs> We've had our ups and downs, but I never thought it would come to this. I reckon the cruise of the Canaries would do her good, set her mind to rest. And then you've got uh, Walter Stapleton, who's one of the div uh, the the, uh, the couple who are divorcing. Staple is a very earthy kind of concept, um, constantly banging on about twigs, <laughs> etc. Yeah. Um, very, very down-to-earth sort of guy. Uh, ironically, the only character who's got any kind of inkling that Mr. Blint downstairs with the, with the piano is, is starting to talk sense. Well, probably deliberately, I should think, isn't it? He's the only one, yeah, who, who slowly opens his eyes to what he... He's the one who first opens his eyes to what's going on. Sure. And maybe that's because he is depicted as Earth. I don't know. That's and right. And it's the Earth that's in danger. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. Yeah, but that's you could be that's. right. When Mr. Blint played his piano downstairs, it all went quiet. Um, and his estranged wife, Lulu, played by um, Julie Huxtable, is that her Judy name? Judy Huxtable, um, yeah. who was at that stage married to Peter Cook. Yep, Judy. That's right, of course, of course. And, uh, and she plays a French prostitute. Lulu. Lulu, um, which harks back to Honolulu, Lulu, uh, the, the hurricane. Um, and there are quite a lot of air um, allusions that are made to her throughout the story. What is this? I'm glad Well, you've got these wings, you see. Wings? So we, we were overjoyed that we'd sort of discovered that each of these, these characters uh, represented an element each. And as you listen and re-listen and re-listen to the album, which we've, we've done dozens and dozens of times, yeah. 
every single time you pick out another element, another layer, don't you? Yeah, this album is is made for repeat listening, mm. which might be one reason that on, on first listen it, it doesn't necessarily all, all, all go in because there are so many clues and uh, everything's contextualised from, mm. from side to side and from album to album and it really does bear repeated listening. It's more like, and probably not the first time we're going to say this, it's more like a film, isn't it? It is. Or a, a radio play that's incredibly cinematic. Yeah, it, it's... Um, of course, it was a re- almost the same time that uh, Douglas Adams was mm. making the radio, the original version, right, of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, and there are there definitely are, parallels. There are parallels. I mean, it's not as funny, that's true, it, it, uh, as something like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It couldn't, it couldn't have become as successful. However... The use of just the sheer use of sound, distance, um, the you know the, the the creativity in the recording does remind one of like the best radio work, doesn't it? To to evoke uh, things without visuals, you know. No, absolutely. But un- unlike the sort of Radio Four play for today, where you've got a guy. Uh, opening and closing a, a, a tiny wooden door. Yeah, on the arches and all that uh, stuff, yeah. Godly and Cream have taken it to ridiculous lengths. Veronica, how many times have I told her not to disturb me at the office? She doesn't look too well, Mr. Henry. If my experience is anything to go by, and it is, this woman is dead! Golly, doctor! Yes, but wonderful uh, lengths, and we, we're going to talk about some of the the sort of technological innovations uh, that I think mark consequences out as being um, literally, I, I think the the richest achievement in recorded sound. But that's a big statement. Yeah, you. I mean, thirty years ago, you said it was the pinnacle of analog recording. Uh, I'll stand by that forever. Changed, yeah, yeah. No, I'll stand by it forever. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening